You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, happy to finish up our series today. We'll have a special standalone message next week, but right now, first things first. Our scripture reading today is going to be from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. An word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. That is the reading of God's word. All his people said, amen. amen. Yeah, the, uh, the Lost Boys of Sudan, if you've never heard of them, that was a, a title given to a group of tens of thousands of boys, young men, whose parents were killed in the Sudanese Civil War. It happened in sort of the early to mid first decade of the 2000s. And so to escape all of that, uh, these thousands of young men marched thousands of miles across the desert, mostly over to Ethiopia. And if they survived that journey, many of them were resettled in the United States. And a few years ago, while I was a campus missionary at the University of Texas, one of them, one of these lost boys, we'll call him Mark, not his real name, Mark came into our group. 
He had been resettled in the Dallas area. He had been taken in by a Christian family. He had enrolled in and been accepted into the University of Texas. And he found us on the college campus. So you can imagine that. You can imagine uh, because of all that, all he had lived through, that Mark's perspective on life was just a little bit different than your average college student's. And one day, I'll never forget it, a bunch of students and I were hanging around, we're talking over in the dorms, when one of the guys there, this freshman, started talking about how he and his girlfriend, who he had been dating for like two whole weeks, they had broken up, and this was the hardest thing he had ever been through, how he didn't know if he could even go on, because, you know, she was the one, and she had broken his heart, he just couldn't go on. He was thinking about dropping out of school now, because this was so so hard. And he kept going on and on. As he kept going on and on, I could sense Mark to my left kind of start to vibrate <laughs> a little bit like he had something on the inside. He kept getting more and more agitated. He couldn't keep it in. And finally, he sort of blurted it out in his strong accent. He said, what do you mean this is hard? Do you know what hard is? I will tell you what is hard. As a 12-year-old boy, I walked across the desert at night to avoid being shot by soldiers. I watched my friends get machine gunned by the army, eaten by lions, or drown in rivers. I went weeks without food to survive, but I did, and I thank God I am here. So I don't want to hear about your life being hard because of this girlfriend. You know? <laughs> Now, I'm pretty sure the other guy never complained <laughs> about his ex again because he had gotten, come on, courtesy of, you know, kind of Anton Ego, Pixar film Ratatouille, he had gotten some perspective. Yeah. Here's my point. Two young men, both roughly the same age, traveling through life, enrolled at the same school, both facing difficulties in their life, but each was processing that difficulty radically differently. One had lived through the unimaginable and had grown stronger because of it. The other was falling apart for something that's seemingly far less. What made the difference? Now, I don't tell you this to shame that other guy at all. It's possible, likely, probable that if uh, that were you, if that were me, if I'd walked a mile in that guy's shoes, I may have responded like he did. But still, there's a difference. What made the difference for my friend, Mark, from Sudan? You know what he told me? He told me this, because I asked him later. I said, how did you do that? How did you make it? And here's what he said. I knew that Jesus loved me and that he had a purpose for my life. I knew that Jesus loved me and had a purpose for my life. He'd grown up with Christian parents, come to faith in Christ at a young age, and through it all, he never lost hold of those twin truths, the love of God for him, and the purpose is the mission of God for him, despite all that he'd been through. That's what kept him going through his mission through the desert, walking through danger. So my question today is, is this, and you probably saw it coming, how can we hang on to those same truths, those same things, no matter what we are walking through ourselves right now? Because some of us, maybe, 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 we feel a little like Mark. Hmm? We've lost some friends over the last 18 months. We've lost some family, maybe to extremism, conspiracy theories, COVID, sickness, family, cancers, who knows why. And that's been hard, but how, how can we, like Mark, hang on to both the love of God and the mission of God, the purpose God has for us and for our church, no matter what. 
It's my question. How can we stay on mission in the world no matter what? The reason I'm asking this question, this question, in case you didn't know, is because we have been looking the last couple of months at our core values, our same core values at Mosaic of worship, community, and mission, and seeing how those connect to, apply to our different right now cultural moment. And so today, as we take our last look in the series and our final look at the value of mission to the life of Elijah, I think right here, there's a kind of blueprint in this passage that can help answer my question. Here it is. You'll notice in the passage, we're going to take a look at it. There are three unique locations. And in each unique location, we see how the love of God uniquely sustains Elijah Elijah, for his mission. Okay? So we're going to move quickly through each of these locations today. How can we stay on mission in the world no matter what? Number one, we're going to receive, need to, receive the wisdom at the broom bush. Number two, answer the question in the cave. And finally, embrace the generation in the desert. I'll move from the broom bush to the cave, to the desert. I'll be longer on one and two, super short on number three. Here we go. Number one, let's receive this wisdom at the broom bush. Okay, where are we in Elijah's story. Well, when we last saw Elijah last week in in Tina's excellent message, Tina Miranda, we saw that he had sort of rented out Madison Square Garden, Elijah had, like rented out the Irwin Center, rented out DKR, and he booked this boxing match hmm, between the God of Israel and the prophets of Baal. And so sure enough, yeah, on cue right there, last chapter, God shows up and sends fire from heaven. The KO goes to Yahweh. And the prophets of Baal, they're either put to death or they're run out of town. The drought that was in Israel that Elijah had prophesied, it ends, the rains come down. And this last snapshot in the previous chapter shows Elijah with his super speed. He's on foot. He's out running King Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel. Jezreel was the capital city of Israel during Ahab's reign. The bottom line is here, Elijah is the man. He's the man. Everything has gone according to plan so far. So here, Elijah goes back to the capital, Jezreel. Why? Well, most likely, I think it's because after all that's happened, he expected, fully expected, that King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and the nation of Israel would surrender. Surrender their hearts back to the one true God. To repent and turn away from all their Baal worship, idol worship, surely they would do that now, right? I mean, come on. What more could they ask for? Fire from heaven they got. But what happens here? There's no surrender. There's not even like a couple of protesters waving some signs like, we want Jehovah, you know, bring back Yahweh. No. It's worse. Not only is there no surrender to embracing of the one true God. Instead, Jezebel makes Elijah a marked man and swears she's gonna kill him. So what does he do? Verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He runs away. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey and he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Now this, is, this is a pretty stunning turn here, right? I mean, Elijah, the mighty prophet, he's gone rogue, becomes suicidal. He fires his staff and he lets his servant go. He quits the ministry and he sits down under this broom bush and asks God to kill him. You say, well, 
how could this be? Like, I mean, Bible heroes don't act this way. Well, okay, okay. Well, if you've, you've never had your entire world turned upside down, everything you've hoped for, believed in, built towards, believed for, stripped away from you, then sure, you won't understand what's happening inside Elijah. But some of you, some of you know, some of you know right now what this feels like. You've lost everything. 10 years, 20 years. Maybe your parents going through something, hmm? Your business in a moment, it's gone because of something, a force far larger than you. Your marriage, your friendships, ministry, gone. You know how Elijah feels. Remember, remember a few years ago, a decade ago, the Great Recession, 2008, 9, 10-ish? Remember when the market, the stock market, it crashed, it fell so hard. If you saw this in the news, there were like these powerful, brilliant young Wall Street brokers, stockbrokers. They were literally jumping out of buildings to end their lives. They couldn't handle it. That is Elijah right here. His spiritual stock market crashed. He's jumping out of the window of ministry. He wants to die. Now, I know this is a super sensitive subject, especially right now in our culture. So before we get to how God actually helps Elijah, let me say this. I know, I know some of you in this room, again, this is you right now. You may have been here before, but this is you right now. You're under your own kind of broom bush. I don't know how you got there, but in a crowd like this, surely, statistically speaking, this is gonna be someone. You're under your own kind of broom bush, and you're praying, thinking about this right now. So let me say three things to you, three things to do. (sighs) Number one, this one's gonna be a little direct, okay? Number one, I want you to hear me. If this is you, you do not have the right to take your own life. You don't. Elijah, Elijah prays this, but he never supposes he has the authority to do this. He knows what you should, that your life, my life, even at our lowest points, our life still belongs to God, okay? But second, second, while you may feel alone, I wanna tell you, you are not alone. Elijah feels alone here, right? He says, I'm the only one, but it's a lie. It's not true. God comes to him at the end of the chapter. We'll look at it and says, no, 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 no. Look who I have. You're not alone. You're so far from alone. And, and number three, let's now, right now, look at the wise and loving way God cares for his son, his servant, who's in pain. Look at this, verse five. All at once an angel touched him. Get up and eat. He looked around. There was some bread baked over coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him again and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. See, this is the, this is the angel of God. This is likely God come in human form. Many Christians, I believe this is Jesus here in the Old Testament in the Hebrew scriptures. And so what then does Jesus, the, the God come in flesh, what does he do? How does he treat and help a broken, depressed person? Does he say like, hey, champ, get your faith up. Suck it up, buttercup. Does he ask them, Elijah, have you confessed all known sin, quoted the scriptures, pled the blood, rebuked the devil, taken authority over the enemy? No. What does he do? Did I get them all, by the way? I don't know. What does he do? It's remarkable. First of all, God touches him repeatedly, actually. Why? God's dealing with his psychological nature to let him know he is not alone. He's with him. Second, then God, God cooks for him, feeds him. Because sometimes when you're depressed, what you really need is a good meal and a long nap. God's dealing with Elijah's physical 
nature. And God has a conversation with him. He's dealing with his relational nature. He becomes like, Elijah's kind of like omnipotent, <laughs> omniscient therapist, if you will. Yeah. Tells him how he's going to be okay. What are we being shown here? Here it is. We're being shown the loving wisdom of God. Why is it wise? Here's why. It's because God refuses to reduce us. Refuses to reduce us as humans. Let me tell you what I mean. On one hand, on one side, some super traditional church circles, maybe you've been a part of these, they reduce you to only having a spiritual nature. Like, all you need to do is pray and you're gonna be fine. All you need to do is read your Bible when you're depressed and you're gonna be fine. Now, you should read your Bible when you're depressed. Maybe like more than ever before, and you should read it every day, by the way, but that's not all you necessarily need right here. You need counseling, therapy, something medically to help you what's, what's happening with you chemically, like traditional church circles would never employ these devices. Why? Because you've been reduced. You've been flattened. You're not a full human. You only have a spiritual nature, not a human body. Let me tell you, that is a weird form of an old heresy called Gnosticism. Spirit good, body bad, right? That's not what we believe as Christians. Think about Jesus. Come on, as a human, he felt fatigue, sadness, hunger, thirst. He was so emotionally and psychologically devastated in the Garden of Eden that he said he felt like he was dying. His soul overwhelmed, troubled to the point of death. And what did he get? Same thing, right? God sent angels to him and ministered to him. Let him know he's not alone. See, Jesus felt all of that. Did he sin in any of that? Come on, did he? Did he sin? No. But somehow, in some church, church, church circles, it's a sin if you feel this way. Sometimes, again, the best thing for you, eat your favorite meal, go watch your favorite movie, get some exercise, go for a long walk, take a nap, and talk to somebody about how you're doing. On the other hand, on the other hand, modern liberal circles, they're going to reduce you as well. Modern, secular, liberal circles, they reduce you to a, only a person with no spiritual nature. All you've got is physical stuff. All they know is appeal. All they know is counseling. There's no consideration for spiritual things, for the voice of God, for an encounter with the power of God in the human soul, for a moment with God on the mountain, which is actually what Elijah needs. Where God directs him next, see, God here, he stabilizes Elijah's mental health so he can hear from, be with God. Let me ask you, are you struggling under your own kind of broom bush today? Is that you? I've been there. Been there. It's okay. You're not alone. I want you to hear that. Just acknowledge where you are. Ask for help. Even Elijah's dark prayer is a cry for help. Ask for help. God wants to meet you. People at this church want to help you. You are not alone. Matter of fact, why don't we just say that right now? Say, I am not alone. We'll say it again. I am not alone. If you are not alone, God wants to meet you at your broom bush. But as we'll see next, see next, number two, he doesn't want you to stay there forever. It's true. So now, now let's look up and see. Number two, there's something else, God, some other way God loves us and connects us to mission. Number two, we have to answer the question in the cave. Because Elijah here goes from the broom bush to the cave, strengthened by that food. Now he gets up, he travels 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So this mountain here, it's called Horeb. Yeah, you may know it by its other name, Mount Sinai. Yeah, Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now, most commentators believe this is the same cave, the same cleft 
that Moses, centuries before this, had gone up into to also meet with God alone. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? No, I hope you know by now that when God asks you a question, it's not for his benefit. It's for yours, right? It's not like, it's not like God is like, hey, hey, what are you doing here? This is my cave, Elijah. Nor is he like, he's not like, what are the odds, Elijah? How did you find me? Like, I was a little lost back here in the dark. Thank goodness we bumped into each other. Can you believe it? You know, no, 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 no. When God asks a human a question. It's not because he wants to know something about us. It's because he wants us to know something about ourselves. What are you doing here, Elijah? What does Elijah say? He replied, nothing, by the way, to do with why he was there, only with how he's feeling. He's in his emotions, in his feeling. He replied, I have been very, here's the word, zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death. You get the emphasis here, like, God, what are you going to do about this with the sword? I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. All his emotions, his anger, his self-righteousness, boiling over. He literally says, I'm the only one alive servant God. So what's, what is Elijah doing here? He didn't really answer the question, so let me try. Elijah here, I think, is spiritually free-falling. He is in spiritual free-fall. Why? Try to unpack this. If you today, let's say you are an activist type. We have a lot of activists here at Mosaic. Love you. So glad for you. Kind of like that a little bit myself. If you're an activist, you always feel like change has to come like this. Change has to come when you want, how you want. Church has to look this way. You got like to have to hear what you want to hear. Change comes like this, and when you don't get it, when it doesn't look like what you want, doesn't happen when you want, you're crushed. You free fall in your justice work. You free fall in your advocacy work. And you turn around sometimes like Elijah, and you take it around, take it out on others, like you say stuff like this, like, I am the only one who really cares about these issues. I am the only one who cares about this people, this group. I'm the only one who cares about your nation, God, this church, God, about these lives. You free fall. Or maybe, maybe when it comes to your own life, you think this. I, God, I've been so zealous for you. Why, if I've been so good, am I still single? Hmm? Let me think this. Why did my marriage not make it? I've been, maybe it's true, I've been the only one serving you in this marriage, God. Why do I feel like this? Why is it like this? And you begin to free fall in relationships, spiritual free fall. Or you think, God, I served you and look what cough, cough, your people did to me. Like the world's gone crazy. They're bringing all their problems into my backyard on my head. You gotta fix it now. And you start to free fall. Ministry, leadership, business. We lose our way a little when the things we've planned don't go as planned. Here's why. We lose our way when we forget. You need to hear me here. When we forget this whole thing is not about us. We forget it's really about God. We start to think the world revolves around us. We have lost, come on, we're good Protestants. We're not supposed to forget this. We've lost a good theology of sin. Remember that word, sin? Which says that people are really messed up. People are really broken. Like, they really need a savior. But we think, oh, here's how bad sin is. We think 
Savior comes back to, look, we're the Savior. And our zealotry and our goodness and our plans and our leadership is what the world needs. We are the Savior, which is just another way of describing the human condition called pride. Pride. Now, of course, your life matters. Of course, your choices matter. They matter so much. We're going to look at that in our third point. It's just that, just that we forget there's someone else whose life and choices matter more. It's God Almighty's, our Savior. We lose our way when we forget that. So how does God respond here to his forgetful servant? He just says this. Now go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. All right. And now the God of the universe does this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks. Can you imagine this before the Lord? But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, why all of these special effects? Here's why. It's to help Elijah see something about himself he could not have seen otherwise, which is this, that Elijah was as guilty as anyone else of putting the God of the universe in a little bitty box. A little bitty box. The prophets of Baal did it in the chapter before, right? I mean, Baal, they, 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 we read it uh, last week. God, uh, Baal, you got to do what we say. Come when we call. If we're extremely zealous for you, if we cut ourselves, bleed ourselves, that means you have to come now. The prophets of Baal put their gods in a box in chapter 18. And here the prophet of Yahweh is doing the same thing here. Chapter 19, God, you have to do it this way. You have to change the country like this. My life isn't supposed to go like this. Oh, if I'm serving you, why do I feel this way? My zealousness, it ought to get me more. We go into spiritual free fall and we put the God of the universe in a box. Now, I know this next example, it may sound cliche to you. It kind of is, but forgive me because I think it's helpful here. There's this spot, yes, at the end of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, where Aslan, the lion, he's the Christ figure in the story, he disappears at the end because at the end of the story here, end of the first book, the white witch, if you know your book, uh, she's been defeated. The Bavinci kids are being crowned kings and queens of Narnia, and then this happens. It says this, quote, but amid all these rejoicings, Aslan himself quietly slipped away. And when the kings and queens noticed that he wasn't there, they said nothing about it. For Mr. Beaver had warned them, he'll be coming and going, he had said. One day you'll see him, another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down, and of course he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. So let me ask you, what kind of God do you have in your life? Hmm? What kind of lion is he? Is he tame? Is he in your wallet, like Mr. Tumnus put it later? Is he slinging your burgers at the drive-thru for you? Or is he beyond your control? See, we spiral into free fall when we forget we do not serve a tame lion in a cage. Yes, he's so good, infinitely powerful, but he's sure and tame. And so God is saying to Elijah, I might come like this. In the earthquake, I might come like this in the wind. I might come like this in the fire. I could come as earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> Sorry, this stuff is like writes itself, all right? I think I'll show up in September. No, I'm just going to go on. All right. Elijah 
I think, I think I'll show up in the way in your life that I choose. Can you handle a God like me? So how did God come to the mighty, angry, zealous prophet? God comes, it's beautiful, in a meek and vulnerable way. He comes to Elijah in a whisper. And centuries later, God would come like that again. God would, in the most untamed way of all, whisper himself back into the world as a human baby named Jesus on a mission to turn our hearts away from idols, lesser things, back to the one true God. And on the cross, what happened? On the cross at Calvary, an earthquake happened, right? Come on, same thing again. It shook the ground. Darkness comes down on Jesus. The fire of God's wrath falls on Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins. Only there was no cave to protect him, no rock to protect him, no cleft to hide in, no covering for his face. He hung naked and he died in the dark. Why? So that the whisper of God. Jesus could come, the voice could come to all of us. Elijah saw the judgment come down on the rock, protected him, so that the whisper could come to him and speak to him and reassure him he was not alone, that he was seen and held and known and loved, even when his plans weren't going as planned. And the same thing is true for you today. You know, you can, you can have this voice. We can. You can have it right now. So let me ask you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here today? Now, I hope when it comes to answering that question, we could say simply, God, I just want to hear from you. I just want to hear your voice. Like God spoke to Elijah here, like he spoke to my African friend, night crossing his nation in the desert. Let me ask you, what do you need to stay on mission, engaged with the world? For all of this, you need the voice of God in the human soul. Are you in a cave today? Stuck in a cave, hiding in a cave, cave of fear, COVID cave, isolated, I don't know. Come out and listen to what he might say to you. Number three, last point, real quick. There's something in the desert for us. Let's look at it. This one's real quick. What does God tell Elijah then to do next? He's gone from the broom bush. He's gone to the cave. Now God says this. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king, anoint Jehu king, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. In other words, oh, get involved with the next generation. You are not alone. Go anoint that king. Go minister there. Go mentor a young man named Elisha. This isn't over. Your nation's not done. There's more work to do. There's a whole generation with you you haven't even seen yet. And a whole generation, hear me, waiting on you. So listen, listen. And I'll be real gracious about this, my final thought here. For all of you complaining about the state of the world today, like, grouchy, you know. (laughs) Do you know there's something you can actually do about it? You could, on one hand, mainline network TV news for hours a day, grow increasingly angry, bitter, frustrated, disconnected, depressed, and curse the world, Hmm? like Job's wife, curse God and die. Or you could go to the desert of Damascus called MKIDS, the desert of Damascus called Mosaic Student Ministry, maybe financially support a campus missionary, how about that? You could go to the desert of Damascus called our mentoring program with our local public schools. Be a mentor, give the next generation what you have. How can we stay on mission no matter what? Let me close, quick talk. First, just ask for help. Are you under a broom bush today? Ask for help. 
Second, listen for God's voice in Jesus. And finally, get involved with, empower the next generation. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.